Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Patrick and I am back after a quick bye week this uh, episode with Chris, as always. Hey, how are you? And there's no Steven, but there's a Colton. Hi, Colton. Better than Steven. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me. Colton is our guest this week. We uh, did something kind of special for this episode. You probably all heard us talk about our friends at the It Slays podcast before, our uh, horror fam to the north in Canada. And we realized that we were both planning to review Mike Flanagan's Hush sometime this month. So we decided to do a little... Uh, <laughs> wife swap as steven called it last episode a crossover a little, little crossover yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly a little crossover stunt and send steven over to it slays to review hush with them and have colton from it slays on our episode to review hush with us so you'll get a little taste of the it slays vibes this week and uh we definitely encourage you to go check out their episode on hush too um because i haven't gotten to listen to it yet at the time of this recording but i am sure it's going to be a banger. Colton, do you want to tell us a little bit about It Slays? Pitch it to the to the Amon faithful. Yeah, sure. Uh, it Slays podcast. I think we've been going for two or three years now. I'm a recent addition to the crew. Just joined back last fall. But uh, essentially, we just each take turns choosing a, a horror movie to review every couple of weeks. And it's more of a laid back discussion. The guys used to have a couple of drinks on the show, that sort of vibe. You know, we've tried to get slightly more buttoned up and professional as we've went along. <laughs> but uh, we still try and keep uh, things light and fun and just have a good time discussing horror. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, what, what kind of got you into this and, and kind of what's your uh, experience and background in, in being a horror fan? I've gotten the podcasting probably within the last four or five years. I had my own little show that, you know, only ran for 23 episodes or so with a couple of friends here in St. John's, Newfoundland. But uh, I was following It Slays right from the beginning. I was a patron on their Patreon. So uh, just kind of watching along with whatever they were reviewing or interacting with their posts. And eventually they brought me on as a guest for uh, the review of The Witch. Because I, I think it won a, a poll, or maybe it was my pick. I can't even remember. But I went on the review of The Witch with them, and it's kind of been a recurring guest on and off ever since. In terms of horror, I've been a fan of horror probably definitely since high school, where we'd have like those watch parties with friends on the weekends. But uh, I remember like watching Ghost Ship when I was a kid and being <laughs> oh, like, yeah. essentially essentially traumatized from that dance scene with the wire in the beginning. <laughs> oh, so. Okay. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you've, got, you've got to be about our age because I, I remember I saw Ghost Ship like on DVD when I was in like eighth yeah. grade at a friend's <laughs> house. <laughs> I was transfixed. I think I was maybe a year or two younger than that. But yeah, we rented it from like the video store, brought it home. It was a sleepover on the weekends. And yeah, I was kind of terrified from Ghost Ship. So, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a fan since then, I would suppose. I feel like I need to see Ghost Ship now. Just watch the first three minutes. Okay. All right. Yeah. As one hell of an opening scene, uh, I don't know about the rest of the movie if you really it's need a, to see that. It's okay. all downhill after that. <laughs> Duly noted. Yeah. Well, Colton, it's great to have you here. And uh, we'll kick off this week's episode before we jump into our hush discussion, as we usually do, by doing a little horror catch up. And Colton, since you're the guest, I'll, I'll call on you first. What's been going on in your horror life lately? What have you been reading, watching, or just experiencing, you know, out there in the, the horror of the world? 
Yeah, like honestly, I I usually watch a lot more than this, but I've been completely consumed by a game called Elden Ring. I don't know if either of you guys are gamers or not, but oh yeah, the last two. Let's just talk for an hour about Elden Ring. (laughs) I easily could. I have like a hundred hours in that game in the last two weeks. I'm hopelessly addicted. But uh, in spite of Elden Ring, I did manage to check out a couple of horror movies. uh, First of which, I rewatched Fresh which I know uh, yeah. Steven just discussed on your previous episode, so I won't get into it too much. But, you know, I did enjoy it. Uh, I think the performances are great. I'm really excited to see what Mimi Cave does next. She has a very distinct style and voice. And, I mean, if you're a horror fan and you have Hulu or Disney+, Plus, I mean, you don't really have a reason not to watch it. You should definitely check it out. But more importantly, in preparation for today's main review, I decided to go back and kind of take a look at Mike Flanagan's filmography. Hell yeah. Yeah. Specifically, uh, a couple of years ago, I wound up missing a pretty big movie of his called Gerald's Game. So mm-hmm. obviously, you guys are very familiar with Gerald's Game. I, I had to go back and take a look at your, uh, I think it was your fifth episode of the podcast <laughs> ever. And yep. I would say, yeah, I'd say by and large, I, I was probably a little bit less favorable towards it. I did think like, obviously, it's well shot. I think that one gore effect is, oh my God, Ooh. it made me squirm so bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a doozy. And yeah, like the two main performances are completely captivating, but uh, I I don't know. I I definitely felt uh, the length as it went along. Like I was checking my proverbial watch, you know, after about an hour or so. And uh, man, that epilogue, I think the less said about it, the better, (laughs) in in my opinion. So I I think it's fine, but it's not not one of my favorites in uh, Flanagan's filmography. That's for sure. (laughs) The Moonlight Man definitely turned into a bit of a meme for us for quite a while after we watched that movie. It, it was a choice. Yeah, it's such a good shot the first time he's revealed, but then, I don't know, they consistently keep using it, and then when he's in the broad daylight, it's just, yeah, it, it looks off. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's kind of the point, right? You take this guy who's scary, and then you, you put him under the fluorescent lights in the courtroom, and you kind of uh, yes. take his power away, right? But but uh, it's, you know, something that maybe works, works better on the page goofy. than on the screen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, I haven't really been watching anything. I don't really have anything to report. It's been Elden Ring for me as well. Um, nice. And and also, it wasn't that long ago since I recorded the last episode, so uh, I don't really have anything new since then. But um, that's okay. You can just skip me today. <laughs> we'll forgive you. <laughs> I have not been playing Elden Ring because it sounds like a huge pain in the ass that I would rage quit after like an hour because I have no patience with video games. Yeah, I've been hoping that you could ask me about Elden Ring and I could I could do what uh, Tony Soprano says to Robert Patrick when he's trying to get into the poker game and be like, this isn't a game for you, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like you. You're a friend. This isn't a game for you. <laughs> I, I don't even need you to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> but not playing Elden Ring has freed me up to read the Final Girls Support Group uh, by Grady Hendrix, uh, best known for the Paperbacks from Hell uh, collection, which is a nonfiction book of bizarre and offbeat genre paperback covers from back in the day. But he's also a fiction novelist and wrote this very entertaining, very gripping, page-turning novel Uh, about literally what it sounds like. It's about a support group for six final girls who all survived uh, murder rampages back in the 70s and 80s and are still, uh, you know, processing the the trauma of that and the way that it's affected their lives. And uh, just when they thought they were all safe, something or someone starts brutally attacking and harassing and pursuing all of them. So I've just been burning through that because the characters are... uh, 
all really interesting and well-drawn, all kind of thinly veiled versions of different famous slasher uh, movies. It's it's very good. It's very fun, nicely drawn characters, and obviously just written by a huge horror nerd. So would recommend that as long as it doesn't take a shit in like the last third, because I'm only two thirds of the way through it. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that. And I have a friend who's a huge fan of paperbacks from hell and mm-hmm. the final girl support group. So as far as I know, it doesn't take a shit in the last third. So okay. hopefully you'll enjoy it. Good to hear. Good to hear. All right, well, let's get into the the main attraction for today. We're returning to the Flanagan well. Uh, you know, there's there's some Fanagans on this show, maybe even some Stanagans, if you've been <laughs> listening for a long time. I've been wanting to watch Hush for a long goddamn time, uh, or rewatch it, really. Um, so I was excited to dig back into it. It's a simple movie. We were talking about this before we started recording, but, uh, you know, as Chris said earlier, the premise kind of is the plot. Uh, you've got... Kate Siegel, Flanagan's wife, and certainly one of his regulars in... Introducing Kate Siegel. Oh, is it her first yeah, role? Okay, yeah. wow, yeah. I got that noted as well. It's nice. pretty wild. Nice. Yeah, so she plays a deaf woman who uh, lives pretty isolated existence in a house in the woods, and she's being stalked by a killer. That's pretty much your your premise right there. She is a she has come to the woods to get away from the big city and work on her second novel. Her first novel conspicuously being Midnight Mass. <laughs> Dude, which... I lost my shit when I saw that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like Me too, ten, man. ten years prior to Midnight Mass becoming its own Flanagan production. Um, it's in here. I have a question though. Obviously, there's references to Midnight Mass. Uh, is there anything familiar about the way they describe the book? If yeah. you've seen the series, yeah, it's mean, actually like, the same story. The character names are the same. And I mean, they don't really get into details too much, but I think they reference things about like the church and somebody says something about how they were trying to predict the ending and they didn't really see it coming, which I think is pretty appropriate to the series because it certainly has a, a pretty shocking ending. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff where it's like, okay, did he have this whole story in mind and planned out back then? Or did he just kind of build... The st- he had to have had it planned out back when yeah. when Hush so, came out. Do you know anything about this, Colton? Yeah, I actually know. So apparently, Midnight Mass was what he written he wrote as a novel before he even got into like filmmaking or anything. Oh. I think he was trying to make it as a novelist. So he actually wrote Midnight Mass in its entirety as a novel and never got it picked up anywhere and oh. never got it like brought to a big publisher. And I guess in this movie, Maddie's character is, you know, thinly veiled in some ways of like himself as a novelist. Mm-hmm. But when when I was looking on the page, like it does seem like certain things are different because w- when she's working on like the endings of the novel and this is actually seems to be a sequel to Midnight Mass, what she's writing. And if you look at the character names, you know, certain people that aren't around by the end of Midnight Mass are around for the sequel novel. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of really curious, like, did Mike Flanagan write, like, maybe half of Midnight Mass as his first novel? And then he had, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the second one in mind with these characters that were going to carry over. Yeah. Uh, Regardless what it is, it's a super interesting kind of... Oh my, well, it's not an homage. It's uh, it's just basically foreshadowing for what's going to come in like five or six years after this point. You have Maddie, played by Kate Seagal, who's going to then play Aaron, and she's discussing it in this movie. Right. Like, as a horror nerd, I was just like, oh man, this is awesome. Well, and she's discussing it with Bev from Midnight Mass as well. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I was, uh, I was, you know, my little 
Flanagan brain was just lighting up at the the Mike Flanagan cinematic universe implications. And I also realized, and and you may have, you probably noticed this when you watch Gerald's Game, but Midnight Mass also shows up in Gerald's Game briefly. The book is on it the is. the shelf over uh, over Carla Gugino's head. He's just had it in his head all this time. He was just waiting for the technology to catch up to his vision. <laughs> I mean, also. Also in this movie, there's Dr. Sleep on the shelf. Like, obviously, it shows, like, a collection of oh. King stories. But Dr. Sleep kind of has, like, prominent positioning as well, which then Mike Flanagan in a year or two after Hush goes on to do Dr. Sleep. So, yeah. I don't know. This is a weird little movie. Some of those details eluded me. I I, had, I watched this before uh, many years ago. And then when I was rewatching it for this, sh- uh, for this episode, I started watching it in the middle of the afternoon. And I couldn't see a goddamn thing. <laughs> This yeah, is the, maybe same, one of the man. darkest movies that's ever been made. So at some point, I had to take my laptop into my bedroom and watch it on there. But like, if you're talking to me about set dressing in the first half of this movie, it's once the sun goes down, it's anybody's guess what was on the back in the background of these uh, these rooms. Yeah, once the sun goes down and once her power gets cut, it is mm-hmm. it is dark as yeah. shit. I was yeah. bumping up the brightness on my TV because I also watched it in the middle of of the afternoon both of us flagrantly flaunting your your rule chris my one rule. yeah your one yeah. rule about watching horror movies is you have to watch them in the dark yeah but yeah it struck me watching this it's it's an interesting movie for flanagan because i feel like it's really kind of his simplest movie and also it's kind of it's almost a slasher you know it's it's probably the closest he's ever going to come to making something like a slasher i would I would think. And there's not, I, I guess I want to say there's not a ton of thematic depth to it. You know, he's always playing with faith or, or grief or, you know, he loves playing with that emotional stuff. And there's not so much of that in this. It's a very simple, very tight little 80 minute movie. Well, yeah, I find a lot of Flanagan's work when it kind of all boils down to it. It winds up being about love in the end. Usually if it's a (laughs) TV show, the last episode or two almost kind of subverts all horror tropes and it just becomes all about love to which loads of horror fans kind of get a little bit aggravated with it. Mm -hmm. Where this, I guess to a degree, it could be about love in terms of like, oh, she's deciding maybe to get back into the dating game. Like there is Craig, you know, trying to call her who I guess is some sort of suitor or something. Mm -hmm. But I mean... It, it, it's not there. It's not really text, right? You kind of got to go looking for it. Like, basically, this is a movie about a, a killer trying to kill a woman who's in a house. You know? <laughs> you yeah. Know, it's, it's very yeah. simple. It, it, it's very much like sort of a Hitchcock sort of story. And the thing I actually like that about Flanagan, where in most of his other work has some sort of you could say maybe cheesy sort of Hallmark-esque mm-hmm. energy that yeah. com- comes in late. And that's kind of just been something that's been endearing to me about all of, all of his work. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's really not here. This does feel like a more primitive effort from him. And it's it's one of it's not his first film, but it's it's one of his first films. Um, and I think, did this get released dir- directly on the Netflix? I think it I did. I think so, yeah. Yes, it yeah. did. Yeah. And it came out right around the same time as Oculus. And Oculus uh, was released theatrically, but ended up on Netflix very quickly, I think. Um, so I remember that, like, that's how I became aware of Mike Flanagan, because these movies were sort of topping the lists of the, the you know, the, the horror movies you have to see on Netflix. You know, you got to watch yeah. Oculus and you got to watch Hush. And then I was like, oh, these <laughs> are the same guy. Oh, this guy's interesting. He's an up and comer. And, and now he's more mainstream. And so I have to I, he doesn't feel as, I, I liked it better when he was just the guy I knew about. But <laughs> <laughs> whatever. 
It is interesting because I, I do love, like you said, Chris, Flanagan's penchant for <laughs> the Hallmark moments and the, the heartstring tugging. But I still really like this. You know, it's just a, it's just a different kind of movie for him. And it's also kind of a lightly drawn character. You know, we get like maybe five or ten minutes of kind of introduction to who this woman is, the relationships in her life. And then it's just your 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 main understanding of her is just seeing how she responds to being terrorized by this guy who's uh outside her house and it's just a game of cat and mouse for you know what 70 minutes probably almost the entire movie which you know i appreciate i like the smallness of it and yeah i like it yeah i i like that about it as well you guys said it's very simplistic you know in terms of its thematic resonance but it's also just short (laughs) you know it is like a it's a very easy watcher in and out it doesn't kind of belabor uh the premise it doesn't like try and do some flashbacks which sometimes are unnecessary or like you said it's missing the hallmark moment to try and make this bigger than what it is it's just a simple taut and you know you can call it a slasher i guess but it has a very low body count for a slasher for sure but it definitely does learn lean into the gore effects for sure in the movie but yeah that's what i like about it as well it does feel uh a little bit out of place, honestly, in a lot of the rest of his filmography, especially as of late. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a gimmick movie, too, in the sense that it's built around a character who can't hear having to evade this killer. And I like movies like that. You know, I like uh, like your, yeah. your don't breathe, that kind of setup where there's a specific sort of sensory limitation that puts a twist on a concept that you've you know seen in, in different forms a zillion times before. Like Bird Box. Like Bird Box. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know where you guys stand on Bird Box, but we shouldn't get into that discussion. <laughs> well, we have an episode on that, too. Uh, Chris just said uh, Bird Box so that we can put in the sound cue. Yeah, of the of the oh, calling yeah. birds. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as as far as the, the character being deaf goes, you said it was kind of a gimmick, and I think I kind of agree. Uh, it sort of feels like a gimmick, and I'm not really... Certainly the movie is, is sympathetic to to her and to the condition of being deaf. And I think, you know, it, it's not a disrespectful portrayal by any means. But I, I kept asking myself, like, why does this woman have to be deaf? Because outside of a couple key moments, it doesn't really motivate much of the action. She know? has to be deaf for, yeah, basically a couple of or key the moments. themes. Yeah. Well, I think she's also mute, right, in the movie? Yes. Is is that correct? Like, they talk about the meningitis that made her death Mm. spread, so she also doesn't have vocal cords. So I think just as, like, a horror trope, that kind of adds a little bit to me because, you know, she can't scream for help or anything either, Mm -hmm. right? She's, She's basically... Well, what a lot of people would probably consider in a horror movie is like a sitting duck. But that's the interesting thing about the character is that she is so resourceful and intelligent and winds up kind of uh, surviving or maybe surviving. We'll have to maybe wait and surviving. see. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> You'll have to you find know? out in the spoiler <laughs> she, she, room. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a lot uh, better of a final girl than some other final girls I've seen, despite what yes. some people might consider as limitations, you know. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. yeah, that is an interesting point, though. The movie doesn't actually exploit her being deaf all that much, you know, for large, large stretches of it. You know, I'm comparing to something like Bird Box or like Don't Breathe, where every scene practically is built around, you know, like in Don't Breathe, not being able to make a sound. And there are only a 
few scenes in this, I want to say that really relate to her being deaf, you know, where it, where it materially mm-hmm. changes what's going on in the plot. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have like a, a conclusion on that. It's just interesting to choose that gimmick and then not necessarily do a ton with it. No, I mean, there's look, there's some key moments. There's certainly yeah, some key sure. moments. Yeah. That, Talk about that, outside of spoilers that like obviously death matters, but I think it's kind of just like the selling point of the movie almost like this is what makes this one slightly different from all the other home invasion thriller slash horror movies we've seen before. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think what happened here is Mike Flanagan was making dinner with his AirPods in one night <laughs> and, uh, you know, his, 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 his partner, Kate Siegel came outside the window and scared the shit out of him. <laughs> he was like, what if this made a good movie? <laughs> Let's do it. Or vice versa. Yeah. She was, she had the AirPods in and, and he scared the shit out of her. Um, Cause I mean, that's, that's really the most interesting part. Cause you know, and that's how we find out that, that she's deaf. Well, one of the, one of the ways we find out that she's deaf is right at the beginning, you know, she's cooking dinner and, and we have all the close-ups of all the sounds that you hear in the mm-hmm. kitchen when you're cooking. And the, but then in her world, we see she's not hearing any of it. And she talks to her neighbor friend. And shortly afterwards, the neighbor is trying to get her help and pounding on the door and screaming. Cause she's being stalked by a killer. And she's just obliviously making rice, which, man, that would piss me off if I were getting murdered. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I was just in there making rice while you were pounding on the window. (laughs) Right. With your AirPods in. but you know it's 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 a it's a good scene and you know yeah. it's, it's the kind of thing listen it like you know last episode uh we were talking about how this movie eli sort of like seemed like it was all just kind of uh set up for the twist they came up with at the end i would much rather have a movie that like where the inciting incident is an interesting idea than like we have one interesting idea but we're gonna it's gonna be the end of the movie yeah <laughs> you know yeah and the inciting incident yeah. happens in the first 10 minutes or something 15 right at, at most yeah and where you you kind of reference don't breathe earlier where that movie kind of makes so much of just its house you know, the design, the production design, they kind of exhaust everything you can kind of do in a house. Yeah. I kind of feel like this movie exhausts what you can do with this character in this house as well. Like, like I said, she's very resourceful and, uh, you know, trying to leave and getting forced back in and, you know, trying to fight back, you know, it's for what it is. And it's very simple premise. It keeps me entertained for the hour and 20 minutes, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and that's the interesting thing, too, because I think uh, it was you, Colton, who mentioned that, you know, her being deaf is sort of the, you know, the hook for the movie, essentially. And I think, you know, there is something interesting to the fact that that isn't the only thing the movie rests on. You know, it is the hook, but it's not the like the entire skeleton of the movie. What is the what the movie rests on is this character being, as you said, very resourceful, which I always love to see that in a movie. Oh, me too. When they're one step ahead of you. Yeah. Where, you know, I mean, cause the, you know, what's the cliche about horror movies, you know, just yelling at people like, don't go up there. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Whatever. And I love a movie where you just have a smart character and not a fucking like superhero or like ex military or something. This is just a normal woman. Just yeah. Thinking straight coming up with the best ideas she can in the moment to to try and get out of this situation. And it's just, it's interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Miser- Misery is one of my favorite movies for the same reason. I uh, Just when you have someone in a situation and they're smarter than you are, and it's always a good time when they're like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, they should do that. Oh, it doesn't work mm-hmm. because uh, in Misery, uh, the, the captor is kind of kind of an idiot but um in 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 this one the killer is always a step ahead he's he's smart too you know he cuts the power he steals her phone and and she's trying to connect on her computer to the wi-fi at the neighbor's house which is very smart of her Mm -hmm. he's got her phone and he can see that the neighbor's network is password protected (laughs) and then there's kind of a little stare down where he's like all right do you have the password and (laughs) she doesn't have the password um great stuff yeah, and the, the villain is interesting, too, because, I mean, he shows up in this mask that, honestly, I found extremely creepy. Like, that mask yeah, is way so creepier yeah, than, like, good, fucking Michael Myers to me. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a creepy mask. But he takes it off in the first 20 minutes, which is another sort of interesting subversion of your expectations. You know, this guy is going to be someone she knows or, or something, but it's a mm-hmm. nice way to kind of up the stakes, you know, when because she, she writes on a window and lipstick and says i haven't seen your face like basically leave me alone i won't mm-hmm. tell anybody because I, I haven't seen you and he just takes the mask off and it's such a it's a great like oh shit moment both in the sense that he doesn't give a shit if she sees him because he he's like i'm gonna kill you no matter what i don't i don't care and also in the sense that it is a completely random person you know there's no twist where it's actually her brother or her ex or whatever it's just completely random psycho just out killing people in the middle of the woods and Mm -hmm. that was very alarming to me yeah i was so worried that like it's been a while since i watched this i watched it when it first got released on netflix so i was so worried that like there's going to be some goofy twist where it is like yeah i don't know her ex ex boyfriend or something like that but then when they unmasked him like 20 minutes in the movie i was like oh shit all right we can't have that twist anymore like that's you know that's out of the equation not to mention it's such a ballsy choice to unmask your killer because one of the like a common like horror critiques is that people find most of the time when you unmask the killer they're no longer as scary Mm. or if you do so too much like backstory or setup for the character like Mm -hmm. you know the killer is no longer scary that's the big critique of like the the halloween movies and the Mm -hmm. you know the rob zombie ones in the mid 2000s right it's like we get too much information too much backstory they're no longer scary they're sympathetic in a way Mm -hmm. so it's interesting that they unmask this character but he's still sinister and he is still scary Mm -hmm. and he's he's more interesting i think um and the actor john gallagher jr does a great Mm -hmm. job of portraying him and for me there was like just enough character in his expressions and his physicality that i could conceive of what kind of guy this person is and what he's doing and how he lives and why he's out in these woods but it was all basically in my imagination but it felt believable and i'm sure you guys you know kind of came up with your own fan fiction backstory of you know who this guy is um yeah but it it gives you it gives you just enough that you can kind of kind of kind of make out who this guy is without really telling you anything about him i was thinking like maybe like national guardsman and definitely a hunter, you know, cause his, his weapon of choice yeah. is crossbow throughout the film, yeah. which is also interesting weapon choice. That's, that's, I think the one thing that's, that's explicit is that this guy's gotta be a hunter cause he's got his crossbow, he's got his knife, but not only that, oh, but knife, like yeah. he, he, he knows how to cut you too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. 
You know, obviously there are, as we said, a lot of sort of resourceful choices and decisions that Maddie, our protagonist, makes throughout the course of the movie. Do you guys have any sort of favorite moments, favorite little tricks or traps she pulled off on our guy? I like the moment when she's on the roof and throws the flashlight. Yeah. It it was a moment in the movie, like when she does that to kind of distract them just away from where he was in the front of the house that I was kind of thinking like, oh, there's going to be a mistake here. Because when we cut back to the wide, it's like, obviously, he's going to be able to see her on the roof. Like, it's kind of going to be dumb. But Mm. when we cut back to the wide, she like clearly threw the flashlight and then laid prone so she like knew that he couldn't see her like when she was laying on top of the little outcrop and i was like okay that's pretty clever yeah she uh she did a lot of the stuff that i do uh like in video games if i'm you know playing call of duty and there's like a three-man squad hanging around me and i i (laughs) i I don't have any weapons and i'm I'm hiding you know i'll I'll throw a smoke grenade in one direction then i'll run the other direction (laughs) yeah (laughs) did a lot of that kind of stuff and that was good that said because she was so smart through most of this movie there were a couple occasions where i was like why isn't she doing this why isn't she doing that and they kind of loomed large for me Mm. um just because for the most part everything was so tight like you know he apparently disables her car by slashing the tires but i'm thinking given the situation just get to the car and drive it on the fucking rims. Like, what's the worst yeah. that's going to happen? Mm. It's only on the one side, too. He only slashes it on the yeah. driver's side, I think, right? Are, so. you, are you trying to protect your resale value or something? Like, <laughs> just, just, just fuck the wheels. Just get out of here. What's he going to do? You know? She never got the tire and rim warranty, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then, and then another part later on where I was like, oh, I, I really wish she were doing something here uh, besides what she's doing. <laughs> mm. We'll talk about that later. I liked when she just slams his fucking hand in the window at one point. And Flanagan has a thing, I feel like, with mangling hands. Yep. Yep. And he's and boy, has he given me a a few (laughs) a few memorable hand manglings at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um that's another thing that's really kind of cool about this movie because she is so outmatched. She can't hear. This guy's got her house surrounded. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's faster. He's got a crossbow. He's got a knife. She's got no help from anybody. Um, she's she's really quite fucked to be plain about it. <laughs> um, and because the odds are so insurmountable, it makes these little tiny victories seem so significant and and emotional. You know, just like her slamming the guy's hand in a window. It's like mm-hmm. okay. Great. It's like fighting a boss in Elden Ring, Colton. <laughs> it's, it's the same like, thing right. after beating your head against the wall for hours and you just get that, you know, that one perfect run. Yeah, you're, it's, you're or not even that. It's just it's just like you you get that one hit, that one chip off the life bar and you're like, "Okay, yeah. I can I can beat I can this guy." This. Yeah. <laughs> How did you guys feel about Kate Siegel's performance? Fantastic. Yeah, I thought she was excellent as well when I was watching her. I, I think she's better in this than some of the other things I've seen her in, specifically like uh, Midnight Mass, I guess is the most recent one. I, I really like Midnight Mass, but I wouldn't say like her performance in it is specifically spectacular or anything. Like this movie kind of lives and dies on her performance. We're with the character so much. We really need to, you know, be able to get what she's emoting, especially since a lot of it is, you know, signing or a lot of it is nonverbal, obviously. Uh, so yeah, she's, she's excellent in this movie, I think, especially as introducing Kate Siegel, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I I'm I always have a hard time figuring out how I feel about her because obviously I've seen her in a lot of stuff because uh, I've seen mm-hmm. I think everything Flanagan's done and she's in <laughs> most of it. She has like such a just sort of like stereotypically beautiful face. I don't know. There's something about her that seems like slightly like a little uncanny valley or something to me. I have a little difficulty relating to her sometimes. But I also do think she's a good actor. I don't know. I just have a complicated relationship with her that's sort of hard to describe. I guess <laughs> that sounds like yeah. I don't. I can't, I can't. That's above my pay grade, Patrick. <laughs> I, I was gonna say like she reads to me just like by looking at her. She reads to me as like cold and like calculating, which mm. for this character I think works perfectly. For certain other characters that she's played in the rest of Mike Flanagan's work, like I don't know the the pregnant wife in Gerald's game, she has a very limited role. I'm kind of like, mm. what are you doing in this role? Like you don't fit this role very much to me at all. In this movie, I, I do think it works. She, she definitely works for me. Yeah. Uh, so according to Wikipedia, uh, this mm-hmm. is a this is a movie that that Flanagan and, and Siegel kind of developed together, and yeah, they co-wrote they, it, right? Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. they developed it by acting by acting it out in their own house. Wow! <laughs> so um, go and, ahead. And I Wiki- guess I'll Wiki- get into it in a minute. Yeah. Wikipedia says that that actually ended up being a problem because they based so much of the script on their own house that when mm. they went to Alabama of all places to shoot the film, uh, which was probably done for tax purposes, uh, they could not find a house similar enough to theirs and had to significantly mm. alter the script. I have a thing with Mike Flanagan movies where I can almost tell what character he like wrote himself as or kind of based aspects of it. There's always like kind of like a basically almost bald man with kind of like a five o'clock shadow in so many of his works. And when I saw this, I was kind of like, okay, I know this was a very small budget. I know that like Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel wrote this together and I never read the Wikipedia, but I was like, I, I bet to a degree he designed the aesthetic of like the creepy dude or the killer off him Riley and midnight mass. When I watch it reads very Flanagan to me as well. Mm. And it's weird. Like sometimes I can almost like see beyond the movie I'm watching that like, Oh, this is the self insert character in some <laughs> regards. You know, um, I don't know what that's saying about him putting himself in this, this movie as the killer, but maybe it's just, you know, working with his wife mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a little strange sometimes. That's another thing I liked about the killer because he doesn't really look intimidating and he doesn't look larger than life. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not, this isn't don't breathe where we have yeah. uh, a fucking, uh, what's his name? Oh, fucking Stephen Lang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this isn't fucking Stephen Lang. It's not Gerald. This isn't Kane Hodder. It's yeah, it's not, it's Gerald. <laughs> it's not Neville. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a guy that you can like, could imagine seeing on the six o'clock news or it's like yep someone was in court today for like killing his mom (laughs) yeah he's not like physically imposing he's not weird looking he's not freddy krueger he's you know the scariest thing about him is just the fucking look in his eye and that he is willing to terrorize her until she wishes she was dead is literally what he says to her and that's at least as scary, if not scarier, than a Jason or a Michael Myers or whatever the hell. Because that's the thing, and that's another thing that maybe we should clarify or talk about. We believe, and he explicitly says, he can get in this house whenever he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, he can break the window, he can come in, mm-hmm. uh, but he's having fun. He's toying with her, and he's getting off on just menacing her. 
And so he's kind of got that arrogance about him where he's just kind of outside trying to be spooky and she's inside trying to figure a way to get out of the house. And he doesn't really get aggressive until unless it's to keep her from leaving the house. When she goes outside, then he will fuck her up until she goes back in the house. But he's just having a good time. This is sport for him. The conflict in this game isn't she's trying to keep him on the outside of the house, keep him from coming in. It's like, she's just trying to escape and he's trying to just play with her until he gets bored and then kill her. Yeah. He's very much just toying with her the entire time. He's one of those killers that it's almost like as things get more frenetic and kind of spiral out of control, it almost seems like he enjoys that to a degree. Obviously Mm -hmm. in the latter half of the movie, when some things happen that are out of his control, it's almost like there is like a satisfaction in it. And then still like getting the one up on the, you know, the character in the scene. It's like, you can tell he's like reveling in that, right? Like he enjoys it. That's an aspect to the character that it's, it's like, yeah, there's so many parts in the movie where it's like, yeah, he could probably just break in through the window and get her. But it's like that, that wouldn't be fun. That'd just be, you know, easy for him. He's like a sport hunter, basically like what Mm -hmm. you said, what we talked about with the crossbow crossbow, isn't really a weapon you use for a killing shot. A lot of the times as we, you know, here and is discussed in the movie. It's, you know, it's a, it's a slow process a lot of the time. So it's also, uh, you know, thematically fitting. It's a silent weapon. Of course. Um, it's it's not a gun. And so there's the practicality where he's not going to be shooting and the neighbors are going to hear, but also just, you know, we're talking about a character who lives in the silent world and she's being, uh, shot at with a silent weapon. He's also, you know, he's, he might be something of like a masochist or something. There's, there's parts where he gets hurt and he's does, it doesn't bother him, uh, the way you think it would. (laughs) Oh, and she just fucking stabs him with that hammer. That's a gnarly bit too. He gets, you yeah. know, he 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 incurs a whole bunch of minor injuries throughout this movie and a couple major injuries. And you think that it's each one you think is really going to uh, put him away for a bit. But he just seems to, to relish in it. So, yeah, really kind of a striking performance, striking villain and a lot more interesting than I think where a lot of movies would have taken this kind of character. Yeah. You know, this isn't this isn't Ghostface. <laughs> yeah, not so <laughs> no, much. not at all. And I, I think some of the developments in his character as well as the movie goes on, I think is interesting as well. Like it, it winds yeah. up be, being very much like, Oh, this is a very intelligent killer, like methodical as well. Where in the first scene where he's kind of like reading the door, he almost reads as like illiterate or a little bit like almost like developmentally like stunted or something in the very first scene to me, like the, the, the performance is very weird <laughs> compared mm-hmm. to, where he is at some moments in the third act so it was i was rewatching the scene before we recorded just to make sure i wasn't like crazy because he kind of feels he he develops throughout the movie as well when i uh so he just felt a little bit off to me in the first scene and by the end he's he's very different he's a fully formed character by the end Mm -hmm. or a fully formed Mm -hmm. killer at least yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well, it seems like we're kind of uh, flirting around the edges of talking about that third act. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this would be a good time to uh, review it and then uh, head on to the spoiler room. I think so. Colton, do you want to kick us off here with your review? View it, cue it, or screw it? Sure. So uh, I think this is a view it for me. Uh, I have very, very minor nitpicks about the movie. 
that do not detract from it for me. It, it winds up being one of those movies where it's like it's only like an hour and twenty minutes long. It it, it it's paced well. I think the performance by Kate Siegel is excellent. I I love all the little references, the Midnight Mass and whatnot, and how unflinchingly brutal it can be at times. You know, it there is a moment or two that makes me squirm a little bit in this movie as well. Very similar to Gerald's game. So yeah, I, I would say view it. Would now if you were on It Slay's podcast, would you give it a yay, <laughs> nay, okay, or slay? On that podcast, I'd probably give it a strong yay. Okay. I wouldn't give it a slave in my in my book. Slays are reserved for like what I'd call like almost like a masterful. You know, it's a hallmark of horror where mm-hmm. I think this is just a a very very good movie, like teetering on a great one, one of these movies. Chris, how about you? Um, I'm going to give it a view it too. I mean, I could pick a couple nits. Uh, there's some things that I guess feel underdeveloped to me, but besides that, it's almost a perfectly executed movie. It's scary. We haven't really said that, but I think it's scary. True. It's scarier than yeah. a lot of movies we watch. Um, it's it's got you know the 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 gimmick of her being deaf is quite interesting and used to great effect early on. And then at key moments throughout the thing, I I like her character as kind of thin as it is. Uh, We've said enough about the killer, but just a really sort of indelible uh, character and performance there. Uh, It's just good stuff. It's just good stuff all around. And yeah, real efficient respects your time. And I wish there were a lot more movies on Netflix like this. Like I would like to see these sort of uh, low budget tight well-executed spook shows and thrillers on netflix uh, rather than what we typically watch um uh, you can't go wrong good job mike flanagan i give it a view it patrick uh you know I'll, I'll join the view it crew of course love flanagan love this movie i love the efficiency of it i love how it's almost all action but somehow still manages to have characters that feel well drawn as we've been talking about and characters that you do care about yeah, I just kind of feel like you can't do too much better than this uh, as far as, uh, you know, just a quick and dirty, intense thriller. I enjoyed it very much. Wow. Unanimous. Unanimous view. It's a rarity. That's right. So I guess it's time to uh, head on down under the spoiler porch and spoil everything from the third act. Uh, But before we do that, as usual, I'll remind you to go check out our broken website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. <laughs> Send us uh, an email message there. Tell Chris to fix the website. Uh, we need to keep the lobby going. I've been wearing, <laughs> working on this website like Maddie in this movie has been working on her second novel. <laughs> I, I sit down. I open it up. I do a FaceTime call. I cook dinner. I hang out with my neighbor. I do another FaceTime call. I look at some more. I say, I don't know how to fix this. I close the Someone computer. murders your friend in the background. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, go check out the website. We've got a list of uh, every or or most of the movies, at least, that we've watched out there. We've got a link to our merch store where you can buy T-shirts and uh, other such paraphernalia with every horror movie on Netflix art on them. Uh, Also, follow our social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, We love to talk to you out there and uh, have discussions with all the, the audience, all the listenership about Uh, each of our movies that we watch and lastly go to your podcast provider of choice leave us a review we love to see the feedback and it helps people find the show all right guys you ready to talk some spoilers yeah let's go to the spoiler room we'll be back in a second 
All right, everybody, we are back. We're hiding out under this creaky old spoiler porch to break down all the spoilers from Hush. And uh, and, and again, it's not like a super spoilery movie, but we, we love our spoiler room break. We mm. love that narrative format. So we're going to dig into some of what goes on in the third act. And I think one of the most notable developments is we uh, we meet an additional character fairly late in the movie and things don't go so well for him. Yeah, Dean Kane shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Dean Kane shows up as the as the boyfriend of the neighbor. It's not Dean Kane. <laughs> it's close enough though. Close enough. It's, he's got big Dean Kane energy. He shows up uh, he's the he's the boyfriend of the neighbor who's the first person we see get got and uh, we're like all right finally a strong man is here to solve the problem <laughs> but he immediately gets bamboozled by the killer who shines a light in his face I believe it's the same light that our hero throws off into the woods to distract so. him yeah um, so if only she hadn't done that uh, Dean Kane would be alive today um, <laughs> Uh, our, our killer uh, uh, shines the light in his eyes and puts on his, his best impersonation of a, of a police officer and uh, is able to intimidate him into, you know, showing his ID, making him think that he's a he's a cop, a, a sheriff's deputy who's responding to a call. Um, it's pretty. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you do in that situation. I guess you believe him, right? And Dean Kane asks some good questions. You know, it, it feels like a very realistic scene because the killer is so I plausibly agree. making it up as he goes along, and Dean Kane is like very plausibly trying to respond in the best possible way, even though his bullshit detector is going off. It just has a really like tense, nervy, like very realistic kind yeah. of feeling to it. Well, when when he gets caught as well, isn't he like looking in through like the window or looking in through the door? Like, it, you know, with a light getting shine in your face, he almost looks like a, a home intruder himself. Right. right. Yeah. Kane does, right. So, so it's the type of thing where it's like, yeah, you'd be completely caught off guard. And I think the movie might go like maybe one smidge too long about him not questioning. Like, why are you just dressed like a regular dude? <laughs> yeah. But why do you I, have I'm a glad they tat. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad they address it at least, you know. Yeah, um, you he the performance. It, it feels like he's ninety percent sure there's something not right about this yeah. guy, but that's not sure enough to like act out to a sheriff's deputy given the circumstances. Right. I think you there's know. also like I'm clearly bigger than this guy too. Like you know, if he tries right. anything, it's probably like that. He just believes he'd be able to fight him off or beat him. You know, mano a mano or something. I don't know. Right. Right. So then he starts being real smart, too. And he starts uh, basically putting uh, the killer into a situation where he's basically he's going to distract the killer and beat his head in with a rock because he realizes that this guy's got blood on him. Not only that, but he has like an earring that belongs to his wife (laughs) or his Mm -hmm. girlfriend who is missing. So he's like, all right. Let's dispense with the pleasantries here. Uh, I, I need to kill this guy. And he's about to do it, but then our hero starts banging on the glass. She does. She doesn't know what the hell is going on, and it, it's like that scene in Glengarry Glen Ross where uh, uh, the guy comes in and he has remorse about buying the real estate, and Al Pacino is like, "Don't worry, it hasn't gone to the bank yet." And then Jack Lemon comes in and is like, "No, we sent that to the bank this morning," and <laughs> it's just like that. 
kind of an arcane reference there but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and he says don't open your mouth unless you know what the shot is that's uh that's what kate siegel does and just the whole thing goes wrong it's crazy and... too because she doesn't talk for the right re- the rest of the movie when she opens her mouth exactly like al pacino it's crazy <laughs> anyway uh so dean king gets his throat slit uh but still puts up a fight um and this is this is this is the part where i was like all right kate kate siegel maddie if you will needs to be doing something else here because uh dean kane has our hero on the ground he's taking his back like in the ufc and he's he's trying to choke him out and maddie's just watching it happen and with a little bit of help, I think they could have killed this guy together <laughs> in that situation. I forget, does she have the crossbow at that point? No. Okay. She, well, she has it, but she's been I, I unable she has, to... she doesn't to, have it loaded, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's been unable yeah. to load it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't um, be able to get that shot anyways. You'd have to be a sniper to get that. Like, Yeah. Yeah, but she way. can... I mean, she has a bad leg, right? But I, I feel like she could have hobbled out there and gotten into the fight. And between mm. Dean Kane choking the shit out of this guy and her being on top of him with a rock or a knife, maybe it could have gone differently. Dude, I don't know. I mean, like, he gets Dean, like, right in the jugular from square one. Like, Dean is absolutely fucked, you know? Yeah, but no he coming back knows it that. too. He says, doesn't he make a remark about it, or he says something like, "Oh, you know, it was a lucky strike." Oh you know, yeah, if I never got that. You would have had me for sure, or something like that. I can't remember. It's it's a better line than that, <laughs> but he says something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, but but Dean Cain has has this guy completely compromised for a minute, and 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 Dean Cain's trying to get Maddie to run, and during the the opening that he's giving her mm. um and she has you know she thinks that through and decides running is not a good idea <laughs> but um i feel like she could have she could have gotten in that fight mm. that's the one thing i was like yeah but you mm. know it's easy for me to say sitting on my couch watching a movie that she should have run out there and fought this guy but you know yeah i don't th- i don't think i would guy, maybe, <laughs> maybe when you see dean kane get his throat slit you feel like that's not a fight i want to involve myself in yeah i'm on patrick's side it didn't like bump for me either i was kind of like uh you know try and get the crossbow loaded i guess but i was kind of thinking yeah. Yeah, that dean kane is toast you know <laughs> i think yeah 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 yeah, I, I really like this scene, though, um, because of, you know, again, that like very realistic tension and, and both of these characters kind of trying to uh, feel each other out. Uh, and, and I like even just, uh, you know, Dean Kane asks the killer at one point, he's like, are you a, a sheriff's deputy? And and the guy responds, I think he says something like, ah, barely or something like that. You know, it's just and it's such a I love that we get such a sense of this guy as like a pretty clever and quick thinking manipulator in that moment because he knows that he can throw Dean Kane off by, you know, just just that one word suggests like, you know, like, ah, oh, there's a bunch of backstory, but we don't need to get into it. Like, I'm almost a sheriff's deputy, you know, it's, it, I just I liked I just liked the deployment of of that line, even in the way it kind of threw off the balance of uh, the dynamic between those two. And I also liked how I felt this weird tension between like, oh, thank God someone is here to help. And also like, I, I really didn't want him to succeed because it's like, I don't like after, you know, Maddie's been holding her own and putting up a fight for this long. Like, I don't, I don't want some guy to come out of nowhere and like save her ass. So it was this weird tension between like, Oh fuck. He, you know, he just got fucked up by the killer and 
oh good maddie gets to finish finish this show out you know yeah, yeah th- right. this was the scene that kind of recontextualized the killer to me a little bit because like I said whether or not it's me misreading when he's very slowly reading each word off the door you know in his first scene uh, where he's like speaking to Maddie and like oh you can read lips it, it, like I said he almost seems vaguely like illiterate in that scene to this scene where he's so charismatic and so quick thinking and so like I'm like oh my god yeah he, he's lying through his teeth but doing such a great job at it that I was like okay I <laughs> there was a I, I missed something at some point where like I was like okay maybe I misread the first scene or maybe he was putting on a bit of a performance or maybe it is an issue in direction I have no clue but this character like this killer at this moment I go like okay this is a really good killer like how quick he is on his feet yeah I didn't really read that first scene the same way but even if uh even there was something there that I missed like at that point maybe when he's got the mask on he's you know he's, he's playing a role a little bit yeah, um, that and, and then he well, kind yeah. of becomes more raw as it goes on. Maybe he's trying to be Michael Myers at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, the friend I watched the movie with, she didn't get it either. She was like, I, I, I didn't get that. So I think it could just be me. Like I said, I before I did this, I, I went back to that scene and I was still seeing what I was seeing. But mm. maybe I'm just seeing something that's not there Ooh. as well. So, mm. <laughs> but I do like this killer, like at this point like it's a very clever moment like what patrick was saying like as they're feeling each other out and trying to figure out you know how am i going to get out of this and yes very much as the viewer i'm the same way that obviously i didn't want uh you know dean kane to run in and save the day and be the white knight and you know the movie the end and then the run off into the sunset together you know i wanted to yeah, see like right all right how is this guy gonna get taken out you know yeah. uh, i was very curious yeah. It's funny how we want that to happen so badly <laughs> in the moment, but it would be the movie's... worst movie of all time if that happened. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so she ends up getting the crossbow, I think, after. Well, no, we established she, she gets it before that, which I also have to say that's another of my favorite moments when she kind of tricks him into coming up on the roof and then just like fucking clocks him and grabs his crossbow. That's a great bit. Yeah. Um, I do that in Call of Duty too. I, I I'm being chased. I climb up the ladder. I wait at the top of the ladder <laughs> when they can't shoot back. <laughs> Just wait for them. Knife them when they come yeah. up to the top. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's got the crossbow. She struggles a lot with loading it because apparently that's a very difficult thing to do. And she's only got the one bolt. And we're assuming, or at least I was assuming, that this is going to be her ticket out of this. Is she's going to get her perfect shot finally she's gonna get the headshot or whatever on the killer and Mm -hmm. that's gonna be the end of the story but she shoots him i want to say it's not too long after he kills dean kane right well what happens is he kills dean kane and and she had been because dean kane had been kind of telling her to run and so we sort of uh see her escape and run and get hunted down and chased and her head bashed in with a rock oh right that's when that happens yeah um, but that is that is just in her mind. That is her writer's brain that she established when at the beginning when she was talking with her friend, where she's like, I can see all the branching. She's like she's like Doctor Strange. She can see all the branching <laughs> timelines of what'll happen. This is the one yeah. where you defeat the killer. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and yeah. and through process of elimination, and there's there's kind of a I guess this is the clo- the closest that this movie gets to sort of the like Mike Flanagan uh Hallmark cheese because yeah. we kind of like see her talking to herself. 
yourself <laughs> and it's like we're running out of time honey you got to do this you can't do that you can't do that anyway so she basically through 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 a process of elimination decides she can't run he'll out he'll out chase her she can't hide and wait it out because she'll die of blood loss because she's already been shot in the leg by the crossbow at this point she can't turn the power back on he'll like he'll get behind her can't go beneath the house because she'll get dragged out i think is another one that shows you know there's there's multiple endings yeah the only timeline in which she has a chance basically she decides actually she doesn't have a chance that's what she decides she decides i'm dead basically there's the best percentage chance that i have is just to To try and kill him fight this guy and kill this Mm -hmm. guy and hope for a miracle And I love this convention. Like, I love this scene. I love this moment because it could be it could be something that they set up in that first five or ten minutes and it, and it gets fucking overused throughout the movie. But it's it comes back so late that you've almost even forgotten that it was set up. And it's it's a really enjoyable and powerful moment, too, because she is so desperate mm-hmm. and she's trying to literally talk herself up in in her mind and, and, and get herself ready for the end game. <laughs> not 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 to bring it back to another fucking Avengers <laughs> reference. Yeah. And it's it's as close as it gets to sort of developing a theme too, I think, mm. and or or a character arc for our hero because really I I I after this movie was over I was like, I don't did I miss something there wasn't really a kind of a thin character not a lot of development with her mm-hmm. but if you want to look for it you can say all right so here's someone who's you know she's got no confidence as a writer uh she's mute all she has is this inner voice uh that she can use to create stories but it's just hasn't been working she can't write an ending for her story on this on the page but her life happens to be saved by using that inner voice and her ability to see these branching narratives to overcome this crazy circumstance. So a little bit of a redemptive arc in that if you're looking for it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it could also be like the, the prey becoming the predator type of thing. Like one of those very like basic things where it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like one of those lame (laughs) themes where it's like, Oh my God, they were being hunted for most of the movie. And now they're the hunter, you know, (laughs) it's a very cheesy way. and then I'll probably talk more about this uh, later on, but, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, garden variety sort of feminist empowerment, because uh, I think there's a very uh, gendered dynamic to what's going on in this movie. And uh, we have a character who, you know, at first seems kind of uh, she's, you know, deleting texts, hanging up on calls from from men. She's avoiding conflict. And now she's got to take the conflict to the male oppressor. Mm-hmm. I think there's you could make that reading and and especially when you get into how it ends i think that's that's in the text um but she decides she's got to fight this guy so then we have the most suspenseful scene of the whole movie in which the killer is about to kill our hero's cat yeah, and mike <laughs> oh, flanagan yeah. loves killing cats too as anyone who's seen midnight oh, mass there's, yeah. a, there's a beach full of dead cats in that show so as i, I was can't. watching this i was like is this gonna be another mike flanagan <laughs> production where he murders this cat you know and obviously it would have been too horrific but you know he's about to and first i was like oh is this like is this is this the interesting character note where they're going to show us the killer who just killed dean kane and 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 this other woman uh is he going to be gentle to this cat yeah because he he has that side of him no he's like no i'm going to kill this cat and and staple you to the front door what does mike flanagan uh, have against hands and cats 
I don't know. He's a very disturbed Everyone's got individual. their thing. <laughs> he needs to, he needs to talk about this with his therapist. Or just or just make more movies. That's <laughs> um, But anyway, he gets he gets shot in the chest with the crossbow right before he kills the cat because uh off-screen our hero has finally figured out how to load this damn thing even though even though I think we pretty much closed the book on her not being able to load this thing. It's an <laughs> she, awesome camera move, though. Like, it does a full, like, 90-degree tilt as she finally, like, oh, yeah. locks it in. It's 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 an awesome movement, like, I, you know, as she actually gets the bolt finally oh, loaded we, after, like, 20 minutes her? of trying. We, we yeah. see her actually load yeah. it? I think she I think she has like she's stepping on like the end of it just the way he was finally mm-hmm. loading it like she's standing up and the camera yeah. like does this like tilt like it almost like you know reframes oh. her yeah it's a very like it's very a... deliberate move like if you go back okay. and watch it for sure yeah yeah it really yeah, emphasizes like the strength that. of her like stretching out the crossbow and loading it and I think yeah. I think Chris it actually might be uh, one of those upgrade deals where they just shot it in mm-hmm. oh yeah high resolution and then tilted the shot but it works really well yeah yeah actually upgrade might have actually used a robot rig for a lot of really? that stuff i don't mm. know yeah. i want to rewatch we upgrade. Kind of we were trying, did, yeah that yeah. movie's so we much were fucking dissecting fun. the camera moves and upgrade and i oh, was like well awesome. here's how i would do it but they probably had an expensive rig so basically uh you know he uh, this is another thing where like he gets shot in the chest and you're like oh hell yeah standing we stand we clap but it really doesn't make that much of a I'm difference not. for him well, I, I thought it was like, going to be a little bit more because she specifies as well in her internal monologue that she has to shoot him in the head or the heart, I think is like what yeah. it says, the head or the chest. Like she specifies and she gets the shot. So it is like mm-hmm. a moment like, okay, you had two shots that you had to land. You got one of the two. Like, Is it the good. chest he though? Clapped, you know? I thought it was like kind of more the shoulder is or something. Is it closer to the shoulder? Okay, yeah. maybe. It might be like under the sh- I mean, it's not a place you'll want to get shot with a crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> But I it's mean, still it not, not a kill shot. It, it might be like right under the collarbone or something. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it's 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 not a good spot. It, it looks like this guy's pretty pretty compromised by this. But but he's uh he, he's at least putting on a strong face. Who knows? Maybe he he's was really hurt, but he doesn't. I mean, show. he pulls the bolt out and snaps it in half. So it's like, yeah. okay, well, fuck, that's not gonna work. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so so and she wants to now at this point she wants to as as they say stand and bang she wants to fight this guy face to face and he comes up to the door and she's she's ready to take him on uh, he notably slams her hand in the, uh, or, or traps Ooh. traps her hand in the door and then stomps on her hand until it looks as fucked up as the hand in Gerald's oh, game dude how many stomps does he have to do he does like five or six stomps and like that sound design from like the yeah. almost the asmr intro comes back again and yeah. it's so like defined that stomping like i definitely squirmed i went like oh god you yeah. know oh it's brutal mike flanagan went through his whole bag of celery in the, <laughs> yeah. In the studio <laughs> yeah that's um, an intense moment yeah so that was pretty upsetting and now we're like okay and, and, and another interesting thing though like we talk about these little victories that that maddie has every time she's making progress like she's also for example like she gets the crossbow and that's probably like the biggest win that she's had in that movie up to that point yeah now she not only does she not have to worry about the crossbow but she feasibly has a weapon that she can use against this guy but to get the crossbow she got shot in the leg so there's a trade-off there it's it's like elden ring you can't just have the buff there's 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 a debuff that comes with it (laughs) or for those Um, who haven't played elden ring it's two steps forward one step back (laughs) right (laughs) right 
and and then you know so, so i like that you know and, and then i guess you know the hand thing happens too she's taking damage it's, it's kind of a war of attrition and and for every progress she's making she shoots the guy in the chest yeah but now she's got to finish the fight with one hand right so um but this guy's a coward and she calls him out for being a coward and he doesn't come through the front door he just goes back to circle in the house he wants to be sneaky he wants to be a sneaky little coward before he does that though she makes a very smart move where she goes to the laptop and this was mm-hmm. a moment where i was like this is you know how smart this character is she kind of she knows that there's a good chance she's going to die so she writes down the description of the killer on the laptop so when the police mm-hmm. eventually find her you know they'll have a lead and i was like damn most movies wouldn't take the time to actually like put this in and i was like i was like oh, okay she's you know, she she's decided in her head there's a good chance she's going to die. And I, I was like, oh, yeah. I feel this moment. This is a very strong moment. But then, yes, he circles around to come into the house another way. You don't see Kevin McAllister in Home Alone go to his notebook and write like one tall burglar, one short burglar, gold tooth. <laughs> I died fighting. Well, and it's a it's a great shot too because she has taunted him at that point with with writing coward on the window, and he goes to get a mm-hmm. um wrench out of the car tire tire iron iron, yeah out of the car to beat the window in and he's in the background i think the the audio drops out in that moment and he's just you see the the glass spidering uh cracking and spidering as he as he tries to beat the window in in the background out of focus and she's in focus working on the computer typing this out and she also types out like love you mom dad max Mm -hmm. uh i died fighting and i got huge chills during this scene it's it's powerful it's 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 powerful yeah and and it's another Uh, thing where you like get super invested in that character because she's like she is very she's she's very much come to terms with the strong possibility that she may die but she's still going to give it her fucking all and Mm -hmm. give a little sign off to her loved ones before she goes and i was just like Ooh, you know, I, I don't know. I, there was something I, I, I've seen this movie before. Like I knew she didn't actually die, but I was still fully caught up in the very high stakes that that character is feeling at that moment. And it's great. Mm-hmm. I actually, yeah, I forgot actually that he does try to come in that door straight up. So it's not really yeah. a, a character thing that he circles around. Apparently he's just unable to get through that door, which Whatever, we don't yeah, have to nitpick don't that. We don't have to nitpick <laughs> it. It's fine. Just try another window. No, nothing like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so Maddie makes her last stand. She gets the, you know, the scariest knife that she has in her kitchen. And she mm-hmm. goes to her little bathroom where there's one way in uh, or so she thinks. And, and she sits and she waits. And uh, and then, you know, this is the other key use of her deafness where we see her and then we see the glass shattering behind her because our mm-hmm. guy's coming in the like second story bathroom window and uh he gets right in the bathtub right behind her and has her dead to rights and then in what i think is uh maybe exhibit a in my gendered reading of this movie uh he gets in real close and he's you know staring at her neck and he says i think you've been holding out on me i bet if i i uh got you in the right spot i could make you scream the the double entendre of all time um and in doing that and sort of perversely snickering to himself about that thought he wisps her hair just a little bit and of course she's hypersensitive to such a thing so she does a little matrix move (laughs) and dodges his knife and stabs him in the neck (laughs) 
I think I think and, it's in the uh, knee. Actually, I think she gets. Oh, some, it's like, in the knee. You're right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. in the knee. That yeah. time, it's in the knee. Um, um, because it's not over yet. No, no, no. There's no, still no, a fight to yet. be had. I, I like that his villain monologue does him in. It's like you could have just actually killed her there, no problem. But he yeah, takes the moment to kind of you know talk to himself. You know, it's just like it's just a classic yeah. like trope, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep, he has to talk to himself. He has to toy with her a little more. He has mm-hmm. to project sexual menace over her for maybe the first time mm-hmm. explicitly. And then the chase continues. They go to the kitchen. She hits him with fucking and, wasp killer. Yeah. And yeah, and I don't know where that came from, but I loved it. It's under the sink. Yeah, it's knocked out of the sink earlier in the movie, actually, when she's... I forget what she's rooting around for, but she does knock that out, like, very early. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because early on, while she's talking to her neighbor, she burns her dinner, and so she sets off the fire alarm. There's a lot of chaos. They got to turn off the fire alarm. They got to... And that's probably where the wasp wasp killer rolls in the thing. Yeah, I think maybe when she was looking for a flashlight or something, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember the specifics, but yeah, she... she, It gets knocked out, for sure. Yeah. Right. So Chekhov's wasp killer of course used she she domes this guy with it in the eyes and you're like oh i'm i'm at this point i'm standing up my popcorn is on the floor (laughs) yeah i'm like you know we're we're getting we're getting those critical hits on this boss that we need (laughs) um he's got you know now he's got what he's got been shot in the chest he's got broken fingers he's got a bad knee with a knife in it now he's blinded and we're like Mm -hmm. all right sense now and uh, now we got the sensory stuff coming in again you know now now she's deaf and he's blind um and then she uses this the fire alarm which has is that ear pier not only does it have an ear piercing shriek but it has a strobe light on it for the deaf so now he's just completely discombobulated and in ear splitting pain he's deaf too at this point he's blind he's all fucked up <laughs> a, a battle ensues and now it's a fair fight sort of except he's still strong yeah, and he gets her on the floor and just starts throttling the life out of her and this is another moment where i'm like okay i know she survives but i was so, it's so tense it goes on forever and that her her gasping as mm-hmm. she chokes is just excruciating and it's actually and i'm not i'm not the type of person who does this like i don't yell at the screen often if ever no. but i literally as she was being choked out and is like feebly reaching to grab a, a corkscrew that's fallen on the floor nearby, I just like yelled, get that motherfucker. I was just like so <laughs> over it and just like, just stop it. Make it stop. I'm tired of this fucking guy. Stab him already. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. They definitely hold on that for a good moment. Where yeah. Like, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, so honestly, I couldn't remember if it was like an ending where they both managed to kill each other. They're equal matches or whatever. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember what the ending was, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, obviously, the corkscrew is set up right from the very beginning, so I was like, she got to get the corkscrew, but they do such a good job with it that even in that moment where she's barely reaching for it, there is like, it creeps in of like, damn, does she get the corkscrew, right? Like, it, it's it's a great moment. Yeah. And let me let me save some lives of some Amon listeners out there because uh, you see this in movies all the time. It bothers me. If you're ever in a situation where you're being choked like that, do not do what they do in the movies and try to like reach into the inside of the forearms from the outside and pull the arms apart. 
it will not work. You got no leverage. What you want to do, take notes, you want to do like a breaststroke motion and try to break the grip from the inside out, or you want to kind of fold your arms uh, like I Dream of Genie if you can get your arms above the assailant's arms and, and, and sort of do like a sit up and bring your arms down on top of their wrists and elbows. That will break the grip, especially if they're straddling you and you use your hips at the same time. But do not reach in from the outside. It's it's going to be like your wrists versus their whole upper body weight. You're never going to break that grip that way. And it bothers me in every movie I see it in. But I understand that most characters would probably do that in real life. It's the cop shows that bother me. I like how you've at various points today turned this into an Elden Ring podcast, a David Mamet fan podcast, <laughs> and a self-defense podcast. We need, we, yes. we, we've got yes. so many spinoffs here. <laughs> yeah well you know if, if it saves the life of one listener uh or buys them time from that choke they'll be they'll be <laughs> worth it, it. Yeah. Or, or maybe it doesn't work and they're just gonna get <laughs> killed worse i don't know but yeah he's got her on the ground he's tra- which again he's he's straddling her on the ground both arms around the neck another uh you know sort of uh gendered way to kill somebody and she reaches over and she grabs the most feminine of all kitchen implements <laughs> the wine opener wow okay (laughs) and stabs it into uh his neck and that is that's the end of the that's how she gets him finally (laughs) i'm gonna be thinking about the most feminine kitchen implement for a while now (laughs) yeah i feel like maybe like putting him in a kitchen aid or something may have done it you know yeah yeah straight women friends you always have the kitchen aid you know strangling him with an apron (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway um and that's that so he hits it's lights out for him he's dead and that's basically your movie right there's not really any falling she, action. well yeah uh, she, she finally gets to call 911, which also feels like a huge relief and then the actual ending of this she's she's waiting to for the police to arrive just sitting on the front steps of the house looking a little shell-shocked and the ending is just her like a smile slowly forming on her face and that maybe was what I least liked about this whole movie. It's like, mm. this woman has just mm-hmm. been through like so much fucking trauma. I, I just, I couldn't really figure out what the motivation for her smiling in that moment would have been, honestly. And it didn't make sense to me other than like a way for the audience to feel better about everything and to go out on some degree of like a, a happy note. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird note to end on for sure. I, I guess like you could read into it. It's like, oh, she picked the right ending. I don't, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but once again, it's a very sadistic kind of way to show that. Right. Yeah. But. Should have stabbed him in the neck with a with a pencil, the writer's tool. <laughs> oh my god! The, the, yeah, <laughs> bludgeon him with the MacBook. <laughs> with a, yeah. a a pink pencil. <laughs> yeah, slit his throat with the sharp edge of the MacBook Air. Uh, got him. <laughs> so I guess this is just what her Joker origin story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Joker of the Flanagan verse. Yeah, she had her one very bad day or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But but I'm hoping that it that I'm I'm glad that it ended like that compared to and I couldn't remember if this was in there, like some sort of like misery esque epilogue where it's like, Oh, she's back in the city and look at her new book. <laughs> or or yeah. a Gerald's game epilogue. <laughs> oh right, a Gerald's game epilogue. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I liked I liked that it just kind of she killed him, got the police there and you know, that's your movie. Just that specifically oh. the moment of the smile I thought was an odd thing to end on and it didn't make too much sense to me. 
Oh, I, I forgot uh, another key piece of evidence in my gendered reading of the movie. Um, I it, it might be the villain's last line, but when he finds her in the kitchen, he mm, uses the the, the slur. The, yeah. He uses the word we don't say. Mm. Um, <laughs> the word the word choice. we bleeped out that Steven yeah, said he, last episode. He he calls her the c word. Yeah. Um, which that's that's gotta mean something. I yeah, was surprised. That, you don't put that in there without. The very reasons you're saying so. Sorry, Patrick. And I mean, this whole thing, the, the whole, I mean, listen, this this movie wouldn't play the same if you had a man in the house, right? Like, this movie plays, I think, on uh, a lot of fears that, that women yeah. have in the society of being home alone and, and voyeurism and, and creepy men who wish to do you harm. And, and you know, it's out. I'm not saying that this was written to be a feminist film necessarily, but I think that it made it in there thematically uh intentionally or not and even you know her writing on the door uh with the lipstick again a a very feminine defense mechanism uh to write on a piece of glass with lipstick when you're in peril um and saying oh my boyfriend will be home and then even though he doesn't even though he knows her boyfriend's not coming home he still asks dean kane hey does she have a boyfriend later yeah well yeah you know i think there's definitely something to that because it's similar to what I was talking about on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode where, you know, so often uh, writers try and empower female characters by grafting uh, male mannerisms uh, or or um, or affectations yes. onto them. And, you know, this character gets by on her own merits. You know, they don't attempt to turn her into like the fucking action hero badass and not that there's anything wrong with your action hero badass woman it's just often like kind of a a shorthand i think for you know trying to create again an empowered female character and i that is an interesting point you bring up chris about how many like sort of stereotypically feminine tools she uses along the way and still manages to come out on top yeah and then, i mean in the end it's her own experience and perspective as a deaf woman that kind of bails her out of the situation you know Mm -hmm. she notices the guy breathing behind her maybe she wouldn't if she weren't deaf she uses that annoying smoke alarm uh, to great effect you know um so so a lot of things that you know may be seen as as limitations or disadvantages or maybe she sees as limitations or disadvantages uh everything from her writing the novel uh for not being able to finish the novel to to her her uh physical condition ends up paying off it all comes together and she yeah. kills a maniac yeah uh, i was gonna Never ask mind. you guys think uh this improves her dating life or you think this is gonna you know put her off for another year you know, that's an interesting question because there's the whole thing with Craig and Craig seems yeah, her, weird. Craig little... is her ex and he's such a yeah. plot point for the first like 20 minutes. He's discussed often and she's, you know, thinking about calling him and, uh, you know, afraid to call him, whatever. And it just kind of gets dropped. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely sure what the significance of I, that I'm was. not really sure what it is either. It's a little bit of I, I don't know if I'd go so far to call it a red herring, but it is like, yeah, yeah. they do. They specify on it for a couple of points in the movie, and then I think they may even describe him as a creep. Like, I feel like someone might say, like, oh, the last guy you dated a year ago was a creep. It might be, like, when she's on FaceTime. I don't think they say creep, but she does say, speaking of bad endings. Oh, okay. Maybe there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, there Mm -hmm. there was something where I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. But Yeah, Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a misdirect to make us think that Craig is going to show up, and then we get Dean Cain instead, and... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. 
I don't know. That's the, again, that, those, that's the kind of thing. Like when I gave my review, I said, there's some things that feel underdeveloped. Gotcha, that's yeah. one of them that doesn't yeah. really pay off, but it's not really important. I think the, I think maybe that's there just to underscore the isolation that she's living in yeah. um, on various levels. And, you know, also the killer, he seems to be pretty isolated too. You know, he's out here in the woods. Uh, we know from the tally marks on his bow that he's mm-hmm. killed at least 13 people uh, out in these woods. And, you know, couple couple lonely people out there in the woods crossing paths looking for love <laughs> and the world's a little lonelier when it's when it's all over <laughs> all right well should we put a crossbow bolt in this one i think so i don't really have any other thoughts all right no well, what are we watching next it's your it's your turn to pick i think right chris it is. It is my turn to pick. Uh, please hold while I, while I find something. <laughs> I have Netflix open in another tab here. Well, while Chris figures oh. out what we're watching next, Colton, you want to do your shtick and tell people how to find It Slays podcast? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you want to kind of head on over and see what our Hush review was, uh, you can follow us on uh, It Slays podcast on every single social media, I'm pretty sure. And you know, yeah, just stop on by and see what we have to say about it. I have no clue what the guy said about it. I haven't listened to the episode <laughs> yet either because I don't think it officially releases until tomorrow. So uh, I'll be listen- listening just like the rest of you guys. But yeah, you can find us everywhere at It Slays Podcast. And I mean, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. It was awesome to to have you here. And we'll have to come up with more uh, fun little stunts like this. Yeah. I, I I have to say, I, for one, really enjoyed doing some kayfabe shit and sending you guys a, oh, a threatening, so threatening challenge message for your anniversary episode to kick off this little thing. Yeah, whenever we get around to uh, fully reviewing Malignant, I'll uh, I'll push to have you on, <laughs> have you on the podcast so we can get to a fight. <laughs> Colton and I have a strong difference of opinion on Malignant, but uh, yes, yeah, we'll we'll sure. get there. We'll get there one of these days. Chris, do you have a pick for us? Yeah, you want to know what we're watching next time? Tell us, tell us. All right, uh, this is a fairly recent movie that I wanted to see on VOD when it came out, and I didn't, but it's on Netflix now, so I get a second chance at life, I get a second chance to watch it, and I think for next time we're going to watch Till Death. Okay. Oh, is that Megan Fox in that one? May- the Return of Megan Fox. Oh, uh, wow. It's a horror, yes. Uh, and I don't know what it's about, but it has that image uh, on the poster of her like laying on uh, broken ice, and there's a hand reaching out of the ice and touching her. Okay. And I, I don't even want to know what it's about, but it, it makes me curious, and I think I heard good things about it, and uh, I was, I, you know, why not? I got to watch something, so might as well be something I've been looking forward to for quite some time. I haven't Sounds seen it, but good. I'll be uh, listening to your guys' discuss- discussion. Hell yeah. All right. Well, thanks right. so much for uh, joining us, Colton. It was a blast to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Colton. Say hi to uh, Rowan and, and Mike and Exilia for us. We, we miss do. them. <laughs> all right. Well, we will see you all next time for a riveting, I'm sure, discussion of Till Death. And until then... I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. And I'm Colton. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.